At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I speak with Vijay Villafranca, a documentary photographer from the Philippines. Vijay takes very emotive and eye-catching photographs of people in different situations. He focuses on many social themes in the Philippines and Asia, and he does a very good job of expressing himself through his work as well. We talk about the art and power of storytelling, how he approaches his subjects, and much more. Please enjoy. We have an amazing community at photographycourse.net where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, join photography contests, and much more. In our community, you'll also find a 52-week project that will provide you with weekly educational videos and challenges to help you improve your skills on a regular basis. This is an amazing opportunity for you to not only enhance your skills, but also grow your network and have a wholesome experience as a photographer. We're so inspired by the amazing photographs that our members post every day. When you join our community, you'll be able to make new friends and share your progress with a passionate group of people. None of this would be possible without our members' support, so we're very grateful. In order to keep things running, we're offering exclusive membership plans that will give you access to every part of our community and our premium courses. Use the discount code GREATBIGPHOTOGRAPHYWORLD to get 50% off your first year as a member. Go to photographycourse.net slash join and use the code GREATBIGPHOTOGRAPHYWORLD without any spaces to claim your discount. Hi, VJ. Welcome to Great Big Photography World Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Hello, Taya. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, really grateful for this opportunity. I am uh, VJ Villafranca. I'm a documentary photographer uh, and a lecturer from uh, Manila, Philippines. And where can people find you on social media? I am more active nowadays on Instagram. VJ Villafranca is my handle. I have a Facebook page with the same name. And I'm also on Twitter and on LinkedIn with the same handles. 
Great. And what camera equipment do you use? For the last couple of years, I've stuck with uh, Fujifilm. Um, I'm really happy with uh, their uh, and the, the updates, the new the new designs and the new uh, models that's been coming up. So I've been using Fujifilm for quite some time, um, so many years. And also, I do use Lustel's shoot film every so often. So I have a, a 35 mil, and I have a panoramic, a toy camera panoramic, the Horizon Perfect, and yeah, both Horizons actually. That's so interesting. It's great that you have such a diverse, uh, diverse list of equipment, and I think having different kinds of cameras can help you tell different kinds of stories, right? Primarily, as as I work as a as a photojournalist, as a news photographer, I need a more versatile sort of setup. Transitioning from SLRs to mirrorless or micro four thirds has been huge help in mobility and also in like logistics, um, but also at the same time. Trying out different formats, for example, panoramics. I've been very interested in panoramic, uh, the panoramic sort of format, the last couple of years. As I still shoot black and white film, that's that's something that I, I usually have in my in my bag, in my camera bag. Every time I would go go out and shoot, um, especially for my personal projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I noticed that most of your photographs are black and white. What was the inspiration behind this decision? Different things, but primarily the the influence of social documentary for me. Only for me, but I think um, a good number of photographers from at least from the Philippines are mainly influenced by social documentary, the social documentary genre. For me, the black and white format just makes sense in terms of storytelling. Although I would have to say that I am not a traditional black and white photographer for anyone, anyone else points that out. I do shoot film, but I have a lab that I trust that develops my film. Um, and then I scan them for exhibitions. I print them um, with, a, with another trusted lab. Um, but just generally, the, the choice of black and white for me, I feel more sort of creative in this format. But otherwise, for news assignments, it is, um, I think, 99%. I would say 99.9% would be in color. For magazine editorial assignments, I try to suggest to shoot black and white oftentimes, but I think only a few percent, a few publications still publish black and white today. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And what stood out to me about that was that you sometimes make suggestions to magazines or publications that you work with. There was an interview that you had with Lamography some time ago, and you said that you have a little leverage on what you shoot, which I think is something that many photographers aim to have. What advice would you give to documentary photographers who want to reach this level? Well, just for context, I, the quote from the interview with Lomography with regards to leverage does not entail sort of a high professional response, meaning as I mentioned, I, I try as much as I can to to pitch and to suggest if I can shoot in black and white because this is really my strength as a photographer, maybe in, in film or in digital. Um, but also at the same time, in the last maybe, I don't know, more than 10 years, I've been trying to, I've been pursuing different topics and themes. So that's what I meant when I say I have sort of an, a leverage, a higher leverage in terms of uh, my work. Pursuing my personal work, I think, attracted some, maybe editors, sometimes publishers, organizations, and whatnot, and other agencies. So they want to collaborate with me, they want to assign me, and they want to work with me. So that's what it meant when I said that I have a little bit of 
uh, leverage in terms of what I shoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's great that you have that. And I think it's really important. Uh, it's something that probably comes with patience and persistence. And the most important thing is that you often prioritize these personal projects, which means something special to you. You used to work for different news agencies um, on a full-time basis, and then you became a freelancer. After you became a freelancer, what was the first personal project that you worked on? Just for context, again, um, I started with the news, uh, national news magazine here in the Philippines covering uh, different stories, then later on moving to national news. Towards the end of that sort of four-year stint, I started stringing for different wire agencies, such as France Press, was Reuters, and then I, I was able to connect to the other boutique agencies, such as uh, Getty Images. And today I work with not the whole Getty Images, but some part of their division, the creative division. But I'm more a regular correspondent for Bloomberg News, at least for the news aspect of it. Um, going back to your question, what was my first personal project when I went freelance? Even before I went freelance, when I was working for the national news magazine, Philippines Graphic, uh, I did encounter different stories uh, as I was going around. But one particular story, or at least theme that I was interested in, was that how do I continue to uh, the struggle of uh, marginalized communities in the Philippines, or at least in Metro Manila. It's a huge city of about 20 million people. So what I figured, long story short, to make the long story short, um, I met a group of individuals, a young, a young group interested in hip-hop culture, street culture, dance, and a little bit of rap. So I got interested. Uh, so that was basic. That be- eventually became my first uh, personal project, following the lives of former gang members in one of the most uh, densest communities in Manila, in the greater Manila area. It's really interesting. And because you had a personal interest in that project, I'm sure that that was very fulfilling to work on, probably very challenging as well. What was the most challenging part about working on something like that? Uh, Very good question, because um, this did not come, the answer to this question did not come overnight, or I didn't even know about it until much later on after showing the work around. So pursuing interest in pursuing long-term documentary photography led me to this first project. And then after immersing and after spending some time in that community documenting different aspects of their lives, uh, the first challenge that I encountered was actually pursuing it on my own without any interest from any news organization, without any interest just to fund it, without any funding from external institutions or organizations. So the way that I funded it, because that was, I think, the year that I was going freelance and eventually crossed over to when I started doing freelance work. I did the commercial photography. So I was doing commercial assignments, uh, editorial, shooting different things, and uh, taking a little bit of that uh, money and uh, funding my transportation costs um, going to the area. I live about maybe 10, 12 kilometers from where that was, where I was um, covering that story. So that was the first challenge. And then later on, when the work, I, I passed the work to different institutions and organizations, and eventually it was awarded by a grant. And then I showed it in, in different exhibition platforms. The next sort of more, I, and I would say more important 
challenge that was posed um, showing documentary work was the representation because I did encounter people who who worked in that area, who worked in that community, and they were sort of critical on how I visualized or how I represented that community. Felt that it was a bit of a negative sort of image. Um, it was black and white. It was gritty. It was sort of, um, and this did not come from them. I think this is just me um, sort of breaking it down, um, sort of bordering on poverty porn. Um, but then I did continuously engage that uh, that person and the, those group of people who was critical of the work. And that's how I learned, I think, the important aspect of showing documentary work in public, that you will not always be received well. And your work, even how, how well-meaning it is, will, will not always be received as you wanted it to be. So I think honesty and maybe yeah, honesty in reporting, honesty in what you're trying to say, and uh, what your images represent is very important. That's definitely important. And I can see where that was challenging for you because you were trying to shine a light on someone's story and there were some subjects that maybe weren't very happy with the way that you were documenting their lives. Of course, that would be a little bit discouraging or actually really discouraging. And that's, I think, a part of being a photojournalist and photographer. When you document people's lives, you just have to keep all those things in mind and be as respectful as possible. You wrote a piece for NGO storytelling in which you wrote that in a world where images flood our social media feeds and traditional modes of communication compete for our attention, it's more important than ever to produce images and stories that reach out and really engage with people without misrepresenting or being insensitive to communities. What advice would you give to foreign photographers who want to take respectful and authentic photos of another country, especially during or after a disaster? Thanks, Taya, for highlighting that. That interview was very timely uh, when it came out, when it was published. I'm really grateful for that opportunity as well with the folks from NGO Storytelling. That sounded a little bit, may, may sound a little bit academic and a little bit maybe too uptight. But from my experience in, at least in Southeast Asia, I think there's no monopoly on who can document specific stories. There's no monopoly to stories, basically. For me, I'm all for fairness. Everyone has their own perspective and has their own goals in the area where they, they cover or in the to topics or themes that they, they follow. But for me, I do support, strongly support the call for diversity, most especially in the newsrooms in the West. Hiring and engaging local photographers to pursue specific stories is, I think, very important. I don't know if I have any... Uh, suggestions or to foreign photographers covering in um, the developing the global south or the developing nations but for me in general as photographers most especially if you're treading the social documentary path I think it's always important to have context number one to know the local language to respect local culture respect local traditions and so on there are different ways, there are varying ways, and there are varying degrees of urgency. Um, so I think even if you are hounded by a very tight deadline or a very strict photo editor or um, going in with a very limited budget, I think that does not give anyone the license to be disrespectful of the subjects, most especially right after, for example, disasters, 
uh, victim, victims of uh, extreme weather conditions or disasters, environmental disasters, victims of war and conflict, and others, no? and most especially gender-based violence as well, because that may cause more harm than good to the victims themselves. Exactly. Yeah, it's really important to put yourself in the victim's shoes because if you're going through a difficult time and somebody just pops out of nowhere and starts taking photographs of you and then just disappears, then you'll feel like you were maybe exploited or taken advantage of. And that's, I'm sure, never a good feeling. So if you empathize with your subjects and you try to help them in some way as well, then I think that can make a very big difference. There was something you said in that same interview that I referenced uh, with Lomography. You basically said that your assignments have allowed you to explore communities and social issues, as well as the lives of people who would otherwise remain faceless and forgotten in society. And that really touched me because I think that's the true superpower of people who do the work that you do. They're able to highlight these stories that maybe others wouldn't have known about and help people. Could you share an experience where you helped someone by shining a light on their story? I guess when that interview came out, the the age of social media influencers and the social media platforms was still at the infancy. Today, we have thousands, if not millions, of individuals who are sort of trying to achieve the same thing in different ways. In traditional, I guess, photojournalism, documentary photography. It is plain and simple. Um, report what you see in front of you and try to publish your work as, as far and wide as you can. But that statement alone is very, how do I say, idealistic. Um, especially in this day and age of dwindling print publications, massive layoffs in news organizations, budget cuts as well. Even if our goal of shining sort of quote unquote shining light into the sort of the darkest spaces or the darkest stories that is out there, I guess the more sort of sane conversation to have is how how do you do it in your own backyard? How do you do it in the vicinity of your maybe in your city or in your uh, region or at least in your country? And to your question, if I have ever helped someone, I don't know per se because I I do I am still in touch with uh, a good number of the, the people that I photographed in the past some of the men from the former gang gang group um, some some of the individuals from the displaced communities of typhoons some individuals from different stories so many different stories from the far north of the Philippines to the south I'm not sure if my work actually came uh, helped them, but what I'm comforted with is the fact that I can still uh, that I am still in touch with them. So good to know that they're also out there trying to live their life and trying to survive. Sometimes very difficult scenarios, and oftentimes just general life in itself. I do make it an f- effort to sometimes see or reach out to them, or at least see some of them. Some of the the kids are actually now my the god kids. And some of the individuals I'm happy to know, and with the help of social media as well, that uh, they are okay. You know, they're doing well in some part of either either in the Philippines or abroad. It's incredible. It's so nice to know that you're still in touch with all those people and that they know they can reach out to you at any time. I think that connection alone is very helpful because if you just took photos of them and disappeared, um, I guess that's very common, but 
it would have been different than you being in touch with them now and giving them that sort of indirect comfort in a way. And so I think that's really nice to know. Our online photography community is a place where you can grow your skills and learn something new every single day. If you want to join conversations like this one and connect with like-minded photographers from across the world, you're in the perfect place. We have a special discount code for our podcast listeners. We're offering 50% off your first year as an extraordinary or limitless member. Go to photographycourse.net slash join to claim your discount with the code greatbigphotographyworld. I remember reading another interview of yours. I'm not sure which one it was exactly, but you said that you like to spend longer periods of time on your projects than maybe other people would. You really want to connect with a certain situation. You really want to get to know it before you photograph it. And I think that has probably helped you build these very strong connections with your subjects. And that's really amazing to see. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Yes, I when I say I want to spend a bit more time with my personal work, I think it's also because of circumstance. For example, when I was pursuing the project on Project Marked, former gang members, I do live a bit far from them. So I try to visit every so often. And through the guidance of some seasoned photographers or more experienced photographers, they mentioned that you know you don't have to rush it. You just have to see it through. There's no fixed rule on when a story will be will transform or will show different facets. It, because you're dealing with general life. So if you're if you're trying to to pursue something that is that you want to see through or that you that you want to see change, then it will entail time. Another project took um, several years because it had it showed different facets of the story. For example, Signos which is uh, my long-term project on displaced communities, communities displaced by extreme weather condition or the after effects of the global climate change, the climate effect, after effects of climate change. That took a while because, for instance, for a few years, I was documenting aftermath after aftermath and then having realizations that just documenting the aftermath would just be sort of pointless. I wanted to pursue other avenues. So that took a while. That took about... I think six or seven years until I decided to have the final edit and pursue a, a book. The one that I am currently engaged in now, uh, entitled uh, Barrio Sagrado, also took so many turns because it is my project on, it is a sort of a deeper look into the Filipino spiritual um, act of healing you know, in different facets. It may be religious, maybe spiritual, physical, and so on. But um, some parts of this work only happens once a year during uh, the, the Roman Catholic holiday of uh, Semana Santa or the Lenten season. So th that had different facets as well. Uh, so when I say that I, I like spending more time on my projects, that doesn't mean that I am fully funded and able to do it without any support. Actually, most of the time, it is quite difficult because I have to find ways to, to fund it, to find support. So slowly, maybe step by step. That makes sense. But it shows your openness to documenting these people's stories and your passion for this kind of photography. Because you're persistently trying to find ways to document things. You're persistently trying to find ways to get funded for these projects. And as you said, it's definitely not easy. So I just want to say that it's very admirable that you go out of your way to do these things. Even just traveling to another city 
that's far documenting other people's lives that takes effort and it takes a lot of resilience in my opinion so it's great that you're doing this and it's very exciting to to see all the projects you've worked on so far i think one reason also just to add to that conversation uh, i think i figured it out initially after going freelance that i guess my interest lies more on this sort of long form ways of storytelling or long form um, storytelling more than my colleagues who are more interested in breaking news wire photography uh, hard news frontline conflict and so on so they live through this you know news per news sort of rigor and that is very admirable that is a very hard thing to do and most especially if you have a family if you have or if you're supporting someone that's a, a difficult a tough act to follow but yeah i think for me i found sort of a i, I would say sweet spot in the local industry for now and then hopefully get the support of um, colleagues from the region asian region and even abroad Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code podcast to get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Yeah, that's a great answer. And would you say that that is the main difference between news photography and documentary photography, where news photography is very fast paced most of the time and documentary photography allows for more time? Or are there any other significant differences between the two? Yes, that's correct. Mainly um, the difference between the two is that the need for um, news photographs or photojournalists is more urgent. Uh, the response time is um, quicker. Um, you need to deliver the news almost now, almost real time, because of the how the platforms has transitioned. Um, before it would take maybe a day or so before you could develop your roles and then scan them and then send them to the bureau before they file it. Now it's even on your phone um, you can file uh, the images. Um, in terms of documentary, I guess it has been considered or talked about how it has developed through the years. Um, before, if you would say documentary photography, you would initially think of the Life magazine type, maybe Time magazine, Newsweek, or um, National Geographic even, or the other European magazines you know, um, that a lot, several spreads of their magazines or their issues to a specific story because that's how sort of they give emphasis to it. So that's the difference um, in terms of production or in terms of doing or practicing uh, both disciplines. I guess one is rooted, documentary photography is rooted still on observing, the discipline of observing in news photography, but at the same time, utilizing different approaches in terms of 
technical photography, meaning whatever format you want to use. You want to do panoramic, you want to do large format photography, you want to do multiple exposures, or you want to do traditional observed and more fly on the wall kind of approach. For example, like a photojournalist. It's very exciting that there are so many different options to choose from, right? I think you can always adapt to a certain type of photography depending on your personality or the circumstances. So I think it's a very inspiring industry with a lot of possibilities for different kinds of personalities, different kinds of cultures as well. A big part of your work is storytelling, which we pretty much discussed this whole conversation, but I want to dive more into that because telling a story through a photo isn't always easy. And that's something you talk about in one of your interviews. Um, and I remember you recommended using sounds and words when visuals aren't enough. Are there any other storytelling techniques that can help photographers improve their work? Again, that's another very important topic that you raised, only because it is connected, I think, to uh, the comment that I mentioned earlier with regards to the, the shift of journalistic publications, um, news publications, and other platforms, either shifting or downsizing or combining. So for me, I think adding one or two facets to a photo story, to, to, to photographs, gives you the, the, I think, more opportunities to have your work published. Um, adding sound, for me, uh, was very, I would say, difficult in the sense that because if you want to add sound, you need to understand the, the, the flow of the story or you have to be more observant apart from light, apart from movement, apart from framing and so on. Um, but then again, I guess it just takes, I guess, getting used to a little bit of practice maybe. I wouldn't say that anyone can jump into it right away. I still have far, far so much. I have more things to learn from with regards to multimedia reporting. But yeah, um, sound may be a good addition if, you know, some photographers are still very averse to shooting a lot of different things. For example, video, shooting 360, using a GoPro and all those things. I don't think it is necessary um, at all times, but it can add um, maybe a different dimension to the story. Um, I guess it just takes a little bit more planning, maybe putting a little bit of thought on where to use it, maybe when to use it and all those things. So I guess planning is uh, always important. Yeah, planning is definitely important. I agree. And in terms of multimedia, when presenting this work as a whole story, how is, do you present it? Is it only done on your website, on your blog? Or is it possible to present it in a cohesive way on social media as well? I think the need from online publications, the journalistic uh, news organizations, is there. So adding sound to it may get you published in some of the big publications in in the US or in Europe. But then also that comment from the article uh, was more particular about exhibitions because this is an area where I try to be more active in, or at least I'm active in, because here in the Philippines, um, I think reaching different an audience outside of the traditional platforms is underrated i think it is important to reach out outside of the digital sphere or the traditional spheres of journalism it is hard it is extra work as i said it entails a lot more planning but 
adding this to your maybe to your rigor to the rigor of your um, reporting may be more effective in reaching communities or in talking about in raising awareness for specific stories that you're passionate about. That's really interesting. So when you host exhibitions, sometimes you have sounds that people can listen to as they look at photographs. Yes, uh, sometimes there are sounds. Sometimes we we collaborate with video artists, so we would have LED walls to project something, either a carousel of images or sometimes interviews. So it's sort of more immersive in a sense. Viewers and the audience we try to entice would spend more time in the area or in the exhibition, immersing themselves in the exhibition, apart from... Um, going to a normal maybe photo exhibition, which is also great, especially if well done, well curated, well designed, and well positioned. But apart from that, it's sort of like a bonus. Yeah, that's really inspiring. I've never heard of that because uh, I haven't been to that many exhibitions, but maybe the listeners can relate. But I think it's so immersive, definitely, if you go to, to an exhibition and you can listen to sounds related to the theme, you can watch videos and interviews and also look at the photographs. I think social media is great, obviously, and you do have these opportunities to share a variety of art forms. But when it's done in real life, in a physical space, I think it can be really impactful. And I bet you've met a lot of interesting people who have attended your exhibitions, right? Yes, different types of people. There are students, there are academics, there are the photo community, of course. There's also non-photographers and non-academics who are normal people, which is also creates a very interesting discussion. So yeah, very a lot of uh, interesting people. Yeah, what's the most interesting discussion that you've had with somebody who has attended your exhibition? I guess it's initially that 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 comment from so many years ago from my first gallery exhibition in Manila uh, with the with the gang members or the former gang member story only because it opened my eyes to the reality of um, representation. That images, no matter how you, sh- you, or it depends on where you show them, you show them in the media, you show them in newspapers, magazines, or you show them in a gallery wall, would have different effects and would create different conversations, even if you mean the same thing. Um, that's one interesting conversation that I had. Um, I've also had interesting conversations, not only about photography from students, but also in terms of pursuing development work. I guess a lot of the images, we, the photographers who pursue documentary photography or social documentary, try to share not only images, but also of the things that needs to be done. So raising sort of questions more than providing answers, as they say. So those were interesting conversations and also in different parts of society. I guess, I think, at least for me, photography is still very elitist in its own, in its entirety. From the craft, from the practice, to showing work, it still entails a lot of steps and access to information or gadgets that serve the information. When you're successful in taking this information, visual information, to a community, for example, having a slideshow in a marginalized area or doing a film showing in indigenous people's community, then that's be- that becomes more interesting because you talk to people who have no, almost no access to daily information, but at the same time, very hungry to know what is happening out there. 
That's so interesting. And it's, I think that's one of the ways that you're helping people, honestly, just being able to give these people the opportunity to find out more about the world and to get a better understanding of things and to help them in that way by giving them that knowledge that they are so hungry for. And definitely exhibitions are, yeah, it's just an interesting world for me. I think it's so great. You can have these real life conversations with people, give them a better understanding of how you know, indigenous communities work or just these people who are struggling that they wouldn't know about in their everyday lives. So I think there's so much potential and power in this type of work and this type of presentation. And it's great that you're shining a light on it. And it's so wonderful that you've been doing it a lot. You, like you're really familiar with the whole process, right? You have a lot of experience doing these exhibitions. Thank you. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned, the last couple of years, I would say, at least 10 years. I've been trying to incorporate different things, basically more of trying what is uh, out there. I don't know if it works. Um, sometimes it works. Most often it doesn't. Most often it is more expensive than it earns. Um, but I think going back to the process of producing images, producing work, pursuing projects, I think it's, it's still at the core, a very core of my interests. And this is what I share some most often to... Um, when I get invited to to teach or when I get invited to talk or share my methodology or not only my methodology, my methodology, but also work by other Filipino photographers in the Philippines and abroad. Speaking of other photographers, you've had many artistic influences in your life. What is the most impactful thing you've learned from one of your inspirations? I think it will still boil down to your honesty your honesty and your integrity in what you're trying to do. Um, you can be as award-winning, as global, and as multi-awarded as you want to be. But at the very core of it, how does it reach? How does that story or how does your work reach the communities or at least the, the people that have no access to information? So I think that's what's important, how honest you are in, in, in sharing, in, in sharing the discipline and the practice of looking at images, of understanding images. That's a great answer. And I think it takes a lot of skills and a lot of time to really understand images and to be honest through your work. You have to experience a lot of trial and error, I think, to understand how it all works. And I think that's the beauty of photography, that we have this opportunity to do that and to learn about ourselves and other people through our work. I want to go back to your black and white photographs, because I think they're very interesting and, and so eye-catching. They also tell such a strong story. You said that you're not a traditional black and white photographer, and I would love to know how you take black and white photos that are emotive and eye-catching. Do you have any black and white photography tips for people who want to pursue this genre? Oh, in terms of technical tips, I guess I, I may not be the, the right person, but just to share my own practice, I have a specific, I guess, um, method uh, when I go out, for example, uh, if I'm starting a project, I would often approach a new place through the streets. So I would say street photography. So catching good light. Um, I'm I'm uh, I'm more influenced. I guess one big influence for me are um, painters you know, when they when they use shadows and uh, available light and how they tweak it. So I guess it's very similar to photography. You know how the control of light or to paint with light. Also, um, 
in terms of tips, maybe, I guess, good, get a good lens. I don't know if that's a, a right answer. But for me, I learned this the hard way several times over. Investing in a good lens is always important because the glass that you will use will eventually be sort of your savior in different scenarios, low light uh, or in the sharpness scenario and so on. I'm just saying this because I've learned it the hard way. I've failed so many so many shoots, uh, either out of focus or soft or um, low quality images. But you know, the, the 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 image was sort of good in terms of context, but it was not visualized well because maybe of technicalities. Yeah, it's an important topic to discuss because especially if you work in so many different kinds of situations, like low light conditions, especially you do need certain kind of equipment that will help you be less frustrated in those situations as you take photographs. So it is important to take these things into consideration before you go out and shoot. And of course, sometimes you have to try different things to finally find something that works for you. But it's it's good that you found something that works great in low light conditions, because I know how difficult that is <laughs> when there's not enough light. It's really difficult to shoot, definitely. Correct. On the other end, um, I did mention I was carry I carry toy cameras with me, and not really toy cameras, but like, um, yeah, maybe toy cameras. I would say on that end, if I use that, it's no holds barred. It's whatever that comes out of it would be the image. It, most often, it's too grainy, out of not out of focus, but like soft focus. Also because of the belt of the camera and the the limitation that it comes with, um, the Horizon Perfect, for example, or the Horizon, um, the other Horizon. I guess compared to its more, quote-unquote, more professional siblings, for example, the Hasselblad X-Pan or the Fuji um, panoramic camera, 35mm panoramic camera, these cameras are more, it's more of up to fate. No? <laughs> it's, it's, it's loaded with a cam, uh, loaded with film and then go out and shoot and try to make an image with however it can make an image. But those are often the photos that people are really drawn to because the articles that I read about you often feature these toy camera photos and they truly are impactful because they have a, some grittiness to them. There's some authenticity and you can tell that they were really taken in a real situation, if that makes sense. And I think it's nice to have that balance between professional equipment, so to speak, that you can use in specific situations and take great photos and also these toy cameras that give you freedom, right? It's liberating to take photos and not have to think too much about the technical side of things, I think. Ideally, yes, that would, that would be a very good scenario. Um, trying to imbibe uh, how the established photographers did it in the past when they would just venture out and really immerse themselves in the space, in the landscape, in the people and sort of making the camera an extension of your hand and maybe your your whole body or you or being exactly yes well i have one more question for you and that is what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world very tough question but <laughs> <laughs> for everyone's listening pleasure this is not scripted at all so i don't know what to say <laughs> but the i guess it goes back to authenticity and storytelling i think photography is I guess maybe this may be a controversial statement, but I guess the strength of photography is that it it draws the viewer in to the vision, uh, to, to the vision of the photographer or the author. So I guess going back to the authenticity in storytelling and the authenticity of the discipline of photography is a dream, no? continuously a dream. Um, there's a lot of 
new technologies, um, new developments in the world of photography and visual art that's happening. Um, but I think one thing will remain, and hopefully it, it is continued and passed on and um, sort of uh, ushered uh, into different generations, is that the authenticity in storytelling should remain. It should be made by people for the people. That is amazing. The authenticity of storytelling should remain. I also stand by that. And I think it's such an important statement to make. And regardless of all the technological changes that are happening, regardless of AI and everything, you're right. It's important to have authenticity and to tell these honest stories. And that's something you're doing very beautifully. And I want to thank you for emphasizing this during this interview and for all the other things you shared. I learned so much about documentary photography thanks to you and I wish you the very best with your journey moving forward. Thank you very much, Ty. Thank you for your time and thank you for making me part of this platform. I wish you all the best. And to all your listeners, I wish they could continue to subscribe and help you grow this platform. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope you learned something new and that you're inspired to maybe get into documentary photography or try to connect with people more and maybe highlight a story in your area that speaks to you. If you have any questions for VJ or if you just want to share your thoughts on these episodes with us, make sure to join our online photography community. There's a link to it in the description. Thank you, and I'll see you next week. Our photography community wouldn't be what it is without its amazing members. We're working on many exciting projects and have lots of great perks waiting to be discovered by you. For a small monthly fee, you'll receive all kinds of perks. If you join as an extraordinary member, you'll get an ad-free experience, access to every subforum, access to our 52-week project, the ability to connect with all of our members, and more. As a Limitless member, you'll get all of the perks that I just mentioned and access to all of our premium courses and Lightroom presets. This is the perfect opportunity for anybody who wants to elevate their skills without paying thousands of dollars for courses. We're sure that you'll love being a part of our community if you're a fan of this podcast. In addition to meeting new people, you'll learn something new about photography every day, which will help you improve quickly. It's also much more fun to take photographs when you have a group of amazing photographers supporting you. Go to photographycourse.net to find out more and to get 50% off your first year as a member. We can't wait to see you in our community. And again, just as a reminder, go to photographycourse.net slash join to claim your discount with the code GREATBIGPHOTOGRAPHYWORLD. We can't wait to see you there. There's a simple reason why photographycourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.